0: John, sorry. Good morning, everybody. I was getting into the song and I forgot to even turn the microphone on. Fix my collar, says so my wife. Okay, is that better? Yes, good. Good morning. It's nice to uh, do that song again. It feels almost like we're back to normal, just a little bit, doesn't it? Um, we're, we're working in our text through the, what we call the season of the writings. In the summer, we look at the Old Testament wisdom literature. Uh, Jake has spent some time in Jonah, and this summer we're looking at 1 and 2 Peter. Today we'll be in 1 Peter 1, starting with verse 13. Last week, we we talked about the context of this letter, and I I want you to get it. I want you to understand as you come to 1 and 2 Peter, you kind of have to come with a mentality, with an understanding. Have you ever had a time in your life that was really difficult but you had an older person that you would respected that had been through some of those things and you just went to them for, to ask, can you help me understand how to best navigate this? Like a grandparent or a mentor. This is Peter who's been through all these struggles and difficulties and failures and he's writing to the church in Turkey, lots of Gentiles, some Jews, and they're, they're having persecution. And so he's trying to remind them of the core things to hold on to as they go through this, just like if you were sitting down with your grandparent and asking questions about how to face what you're going with. That's what's happening in this text. And last week we talked, you know, he uses some language, he calls them chosen, but he also calls them exiles. This this thing of being chosen by God, but we just don't quite fit here in the world. And he says, you're, you've brought into this new family, which we're going to talk a lot about today. And this living hope. And it gives us a whole different perspective of suffering. That's really the first 12 verses of the chapter. And and today, as he picks up in 113, he's going to expand this idea of your new family and your new family identity. I'm going to ask Rachel, Ma, to come read the text. I'll leave that there and let you...
1: Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but of uh, imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy envy and slander of every kind like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk So that by it you may grow up in the salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good As you come to him the living stone rejected by men But chosen by God and precious to him also you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also why they were de- uh, what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
0: Turn this mic off so it doesn't play with John. Okay, Uh, a lot in this text. There's a lot there uh, to follow along with, but it really rotates all around this new family identity, what it means to be in the family of God. It's it's a solidly Jewish idea, but like I said, most of the people reading this letter are Gentiles. And so what what Peter's going to do is is go back through the Old Testament and he's going to use language to communicate family identity. He's gonna teach these people by referring back to phrases from the Old Testament. I stole this, this is not my great scholarship. The Hebrew guys at the Bible Project found most of this and, and I love it. But what he's doing, he, he understands what it means to be have a Jewish heritage, what it means to have, have grown up with the, the pointing toward the Messiah and the symbols and the signs and the things that were coming. And he's helping them to grasp the same thing, to remind them of the heritage of this new family. It's not so apparent to us 2,000 years later without a Jewish background and not reading Hebrew or Greek to pick up on it. But there's a lot of things in here. The first thing Peter says to them is, get ready, and here's your King James fans would like this, gird up your loins. Now you're like, where did you see that, Jeff? Gird up your loins. Well, if you're reading the King James, it actually says that verse, What? it bad? Oh, joy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, a pork loin. Oh, Glenn Ogren. <laughs> you can always tell when Glenn Ogren is on the screen up there. Okay, not that kind of loins. Uh, in fact, in, if you read King James in 1 Peter, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. So what does that mean? Well, what he's doing here, we don't usually use that phrase. How many times have you said, okay, kids, time to go shopping. Gird up your loins. We've never said that, right? But it, it, it harkens back to the Old Testament. It's a, it's a phrase back when people would wear robes and they were getting ready to move quickly. They would take their robe and they would tuck it into their belt. They would gird up their loins so that they could run. It would turn a robe into a pair of shorts so that the guys could run and not be tripped up in their robe. It's, it's Exodus twelve eleven, right? When they're leaving... The, the, it, the Israelites are trapped in Egypt. They're getting ready to leave in Exodus 12, 11. This is how you are to eat the Passover meal with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So right here, Peter's talking to these people and he's, he's using this language from the Passover to tell them, you've got to get ready. You're going to be going on a journey just like the Jews were when they left Egypt. You may need to ready your mind more than your robe, he says, but gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to be ready, be self-controlled, prepared for action. It's a part of your family identity. This is what we do, he says, as God's family. A second thing, he says, is they're called to be the holy people of God. Look at 1, 15 and 16. Um, Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, we've, if you've been around the church for a while, you've heard that phrase, right? Be holy because God's holy. We, we know that, so that we have some history with it, but it's a direct reference back to Leviticus 11.44, where God said to his people, I am the Lord your God, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. See, he's, he's referring them back to this Old Testament story of God setting people free and calling them to live in a way that would, would set them apart from the nations around them. Be holy because the Lord is holy. You see, they were, when they left Egypt back in the Old Testament, they'd been slaves for 400 years. They didn't even really know how to be anything other than a slave. They had no idea what it meant to be the people of God. And so throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which we'll get not this fall but next fall, he begins to teach them about what it means to be the people of God, how to be different, how to be set apart, how to be holy. And Peter says that part of this family identity you have as Christ followers is to live like God would live, to live holy, to have this family resemblance. I brought some friends home from college once, and they stayed the weekend at my house. You know how you might do that. And there was a picture of my dad from his days in the Marines in his dress blues. You know, the U.S. Marines have a dress blue uniform. It was sitting on one of our counters in the house. And one of my friends came to me and said, I didn't know you were in the Marines. And I said, I was never in the Marines. And he's like, well, what's that picture? And I'm like, it's my dad. And then I felt bad for my dad because he looked like I did when he was younger, right? That was horrible. But there was a fan; they thought it was me because I looked like my father. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Be holy because it's a family resemblance. In this new family, we we live a certain way. We act a certain way. Now, that's a challenge, though, isn't it? (laughs) Anybody else here have trouble with living a holy life? Yeah, me too. Yeah, we all do, right? Uh, And and, and, uh, often what the church has done to try to make this happen is we've just forced compliance into whatever rules we came up with. If you're in your 60s and 70s, you probably remember when it was a very unholy thing to go to the movies. Don't go to the movies. You can be arrogant and prideful and selfish in secret, but don't go to the movies because then how will the world know you're different? Right? We've we've tried in the church to force people to look holy, but it doesn't actually change our hearts. And, And one of the things we do today we often speak out very loudly against sins that we don't struggle with, right? Or we, we offer grace to ourselves, but not to other people, right? We're trying to this holiness, but we're not really getting to the root of it. And that's why this third thing that Peter talks about is so important. He says the only way you can actually be holy, like God is holy, is through your Passover lamb. That's where he goes in verses 17 to 21. You call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or, de- or defect. See, what he's doing, he's pointing back to that Passover again. They had a Passover lamb, right? Right? Echo of the Old Testament, Exodus 12, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. You see, the point is that we need more than we have when it comes to holiness. We need something else to, to, to protect us, to change us. And, and that's what Peter's saying here. In this new family, it's time to, to get moving. We're going on a journey, and you're called to be holy, but the only way you can actually be holy is by what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And, and just like uh, that protection was a gift on the door, just like we talked last week that, that your identity as a follower of Christ is a gift, it's not something you're good enough to get. It's not something you earn. He's saying you've had a Passover lamb for you as a part of this family. And this new family with the Passover lamb has, has new things that come along with it. It's, it's a new covenant of the heart. He says down in verses 22 to 25, he talks about that. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And then he says, because you've been born again, you're in this new family and it's based on, he talks about the word. Everything fades away, he says, but not the word, not God's promise. That's what's holding us. In Jeremiah 31, he talks about this covenant, this new covenant. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, in the future, the one Peter's writing about. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother say, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Peter's saying, you've got a new Passover lamb that has brought you into a new covenant that's not a covenant that's a legal agreement. It's something that God is writing on your heart. And it's vitally important, he says, because you are the new temple. In, in chapter 2, 1 to 8, he talks about being built. We're living stones being built into this new temple. And he quotes Three Old Testament passages, I'll show you two of them. One is Isaiah 28, 16. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who trusts in it will never be dismayed. And Psalm 118, 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, right? The cornerstone, the thing that you're building on. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's this idea that this cornerstone of Jesus is the beginning of a new temple, not one in Jerusalem, not a physical, tangible... It's a temple of people. That's what this new family is about. That's what he talks about in in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is your new family story. You're not just a people, you're actually being built into a place where God is going to live. And even beyond that, he says, you're the new kingdom of priests. In verse five, he says, you're a holy priesthood. In verse 10, he says, you're a royal priesthood. And once again, these are echoes of what God said to the Jews as they came out of Egypt. Back in Exodus 19, he tells them, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, he says, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the wording that Peter's drawing. He's trying to say, look, guys, this story that you've, chosen to follow, this story that you've been gifted with as Christ followers goes way back. It's a story that God's been doing all along, and I want you to see your family identity. I want you to see your family history, Peter says, because it's important. It gives direction. It gives you a bigger perspective in the day-to-day, right? We get so wrapped up in the day-to-day and the struggles and our failures and whatever that we lose this bigger picture that God is, what he's doing in our life right now, he's been working since creation. It's, it's a part of this whole big story. And Peter wants them to know why our family history matters. Why does it matter? I talked last week about our family culture. Every family has a culture, whether you realize it or not. And I, this week, it was hilarious. Uh, Becca, my oldest daughter, married a guy named Matt, who we actually really like, which is a good thing. But Becca and Matt have been married almost a year, and in honor of their anniversary, they're taking a road trip. They're in Calgary. They just passed through on Friday and got to Calgary yesterday. But what's fascinating, as they've planned their trip, is the Kuhn family has road trip traditions. We have certain snacks that we have. We have a certain layout to our day. We have certain songs that we listen to. And, and we throw a pretty good road trip, the Kuhn family. Right? And the Stinson's, Matt's family, has tried. They do okay, but they also have a culture around... I'm sure their road trips were great too, right? But I'm just a little jealous. Um, but what's been funny is, as Becca and Matt have planned for the road trip, they've both said, well, you have to do this. this is, you have to buy this snack. You have to go here to buy this, to take this on the road. You have to listen to this song while you're traveling. It's funny to see their two family cultures merging to make something new. And now they got the Coon Stinson road trip, which is, I think, probably... A lot of fun. They seemed to enjoy the drive yesterday when we heard from right? But it, it's, it, this is what Peter's saying. Every family has a history. It has a culture. And we're being brought into this new family. Why is it important for you to understand your family history? Because that gives you a bit of your own DNA. It helps you know who you are. It does a couple things. First, it sets our direction. That, that verse 13, gird up your loins or tuck in your robe. He says, be self-controlled, and then, then what does he say in verse 13? Set your hope. You've got to hear this. This is really important, so I'm slowing down. I'm making it's getting dramatic here, right? Because I want you to get this. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you. Now, I'm, dramatic pause. You've got to get this. Where do you put your hope? Not partial. You put fully, you put your hope on the grace to be given to you. That that sets your direction. You you don't have to spend time worrying about your failures in the past because where is your hope? Not in your own ability to pull this off. He says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you. Look at their family history. Israel blew it once, twice, 3,000 times, right? The the family history is full of mistakes and problems. But, But it got us to the point of Jesus which carries you and me from here on. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you. If you can actually internalize that, that really changes everything. We have to start from the gift of grace that has secured our identity as a part of the family of God, and that sets our direction. It also clarifies our methods, this family history. It, it not only tells us who we are, but it tells us how we go about things. We know people who who claim to be Christians but act in ways that don't look very Christ-like. How many of you know people? We've we've all experienced that, right? It's very common. And so we we, we need this story to clarify our methods. There's a great story that Eugene Peterson tells about St. Patrick. And a a, a Druid priest in in Ireland had become a a convert to Christianity, and so St. Patrick took him out into the middle of this raging river uh, and and uh, was going to baptize him. And he took him out there and he baptized him and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he started to walk back in and, and the guy, the Druid priest just stayed there and St. Patrick said, what's the matter? And the guy said, well, the staff that you're using, you've poked it through my foot. And St. Patrick said, why didn't you say something? And the guy said, well, I, th- I thought it was part of the baptism. I didn't know, I didn't. And there's so many times that things get added onto our practice of faith because we don't do them in ways that reflect Christ. And people outside assume that's what Christians think. They're they're a political, this is what they think, and this is how they, all these things get added on. And so the story helps clarify our methods. He says in verse 17, live as strangers in reverent fear. Remember what brought you into the family, what redeemed you, he says. You see, far too often, like I said, we we're willing to take grace for our faults, but we're not really willing to extend it to other people but but the the way we were brought into the family shapes the way we live. As we base our lives on the truths found in God's word, that's what he's talking about in verses 22 to 25, and we trust that it says what's true, then we begin to move away from these old ways of living. That's why in 2.1 he says, "Therefore, Therefore, because of all this, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And just like a baby grows up by nursing, feeding from its mother. He says, this is what's going to do that for you. Feed on this, crave this pure spiritual milk of the word. When I first came here, um, twenty almost 22 years ago, 20, no, it is 22 years ago now, um, I preached a sermon and, and it was on sanctification and I, I, I have to tell you, 22 years ago, I knew a lot more than I know now. I had a lot more answers, I had it all figured out, I knew exactly what we should do. And so, uh, although I'm not sure that, that I was completely understood. Uh, I I think my sermon was a bit more pointing my finger at everybody and telling them what to do than it was about the grace of God. But one of you who's in here today and will remain nameless, uh, took me out for breakfast the next week and said, you know, um, I can't remember exactly what this person said word for word, but the basic, he told me, they told me a story. He, okay, it's a he, you know it's a he. He told me a story and he said, if I want the kids in the elementary school to start eating healthy food, I have a couple of options. I can teach classes on healthy food and I can pull up the the Canada Foods Guide and show them what healthy food is. And I can teach them and tell them, and you should eat healthy food, you should do this, you should do that. And he said, and maybe a few of them will. But he said, a more effective way for me from his vantage point, was I would, I would start serving breakfast at school and lunch at school and have healthy foods, really good things, and let the kids taste it and, and develop a taste until where they thought, I want some more of that. And his point was, and it was a very good point, and I've never forgotten it, that I can tell you what to do as a pastor or I can try to put Jesus out there and let you have a taste of what Jesus is like. And it, once you taste it, Once you begin to understand what the grace of God does, all of a sudden you want more, and you want to be different. And it was wisdom. It changed the trajectory of my preaching, that one breakfast. I still look back to that moment. So thank you to the person that's here. And that's why it says, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, that's what our text says, now that you've tasted this grace, now that you know what it's like to be in a new family, you're going to change. You're going to grow. The third aspect of our family history is it defines our goals. What are they? Like like we're people, it says, built to be this temple where God dwells in the world and to offer sacrifices to God as we live out this calling. And then he really drives it home in verse 9. He says, we are, present tense, that's right now. Not will be, we are a chosen people. We are, right now, present tense, a royal priesthood. We are, right now, a holy nation We are right now a people belonging to God. All present tense. Now, do you feel that way? Do you always live that out? No. But what I'm saying is the grace of God says you have to believe what God says is true about you, and you have to taste that. And all of a sudden, the other stuff becomes distasteful. And then you say, why are we all those things? To build the kingdom, to save the nation, to make sure we fix Canada? No. No. It doesn't say any of those things. It says, to declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are all these things, not to solve any problems, but to declare the praises of the one who's called you out of darkness and into his light. You know what? That's to tell the story of you and God to other people. That's what it is. That's why you're chosen. That's your goal, to tell about your welcome into this new family, a new hope that's how we live as a temple and a priesthood and it brings us back to something we see all throughout that history there are common themes two common themes of grace and mercy verse 13 set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to get, to to be given to you when jesus christ is revealed verse 18 and 19 you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you but with the precious blood of Christ. Grace and mercy given to you. And 2, 9, and 10, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, he says. Once you didn't have a family, and now you do. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, these are the common themes of our family, grace and mercy. Everywhere you look. Now the question is, does that trickle down to our own lives? When you look at the themes in your life, as you interact with people, are grace and mercy themes in your life because that's your family DNA. We'll wrap up by looking at living out your received heritage. We've been brought into this family of God because of Jesus. John 1, 12 and 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And thanks to the grace and mercy of God, all the things that Peter are writing about to his original readers are true of us. We are part of the family of God if you're you're a believer. So how do we live that out? How do we make grace and mercy themes in our life? I'm glad you asked that. Thank you for asking very much, and I'll fill you in. I'll give you four Four ways that you can gird up your loins this week, okay? The first one is this. Love one another deeply. That's what he says in 22 to 25. And Jesus said that too, right, in, in, in John thirteen thirty-five. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And and I'll be honest here. The way that we grow in love for other people is by realizing the way that God has loved us. We love because he first loved us. (sighs) Love one another deeply. And as much as I wish I could just say, we do that so well as a church internationally, as a church worldwide. We don't. If you look at the way we treat each other on Facebook and social media, if you look at the things we say to one another, in a public forum instead of actually going to a brother or sister and trying to to be reconciled or talk through issues. (laughs) We have people who act in ways that aren't Christ-like toward one another because of political differences, because of personality differences, or maybe even because you just feel insecure and you're jealous. But the core value of the family of God is love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart Now, Jeff, there you go. You're pointing at us again, just telling us the right thing. Hang on. I learned from my breakfast meeting with with that guy. Because you don't love people better just by trying harder. You don't love people better by trying harder. You love people better by realizing the depth of your own sin and God's love for you. If you're struggling with loving others... It's because you've not let God's love come deep enough into your own because once you realize who you really are before God and yet he still loves you, all of a sudden that changes everything. If I can let God's grace penetrate to my worst point, then it's very easy to extend grace to somebody else because I realize who I am without it. Remember Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And maybe if we're struggling loving, it's because we haven't let the forgiveness, grace, and mercy of God come to us. Sit with your own sin. Be honest about it and let God meet you there and forgive you and restore you. And you'll be amazed how it changes the way you love one another. Second, girding up our loins, we actively pursue transformation. He starts this whole section by saying, get ready, prepare your minds For action and later in two one he says, Rid yourself of all these things. Get rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now, this once again isn't just telling you you have to do this to be a part of the family. It says because you are in the family, we want to let this go. You're not earning your way into the family by getting rid of these things. But but it doesn't mean there's no effort. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul writes to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. That must mean you can train yourself to be godly. You can do something with the Spirit of God working with you to help you grow to be more like Jesus. That's why we say here, worship, learning, mission, relationships. Our four commitments are ways that we train ourselves. We open up spaces in our lives for the Spirit to work, so that we can become more Christ-like. The challenge is that that we fail, right? Anybody fail along the way, right? You non-holy people, you ever fail? Yes, we all do, repeatedly. That's why I see this third thing. It says in chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, and it goes on, that's exactly what you need to do, especially with your failures. Come to him, surrender, and repeat. Come to him, surrender, and repeat. That's how we grow. We blow it. We mess up. We come to God. He reminds us of his love and his acceptance. And guess what? That changes us a little. And then we fail. So what do we do? We come to God. We admit it. He reminds us of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and we change a little. And We fail. We come. That's the process of the spiritual life. And yet, when we fail, we're like, oh, man, I just can't believe I keep doing this. And, and the, the enemy would want you to say, stay away. But no, come to God, surrender, repeat. Come to God, surrender, repeat. And that's why he says, as you come to him. That's, that's the heartbeat of it all. Lamentations 3, I think I've preached this four or five times a year. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions, never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. For his compassions go up to 3,000 times, but on the 3,000 first time, you better not go back because he has no compassion left. They never fail. So you come to him. What's the next one? You surrender and you repeat. Come to him, surrender and repeat. That's, that's the heartbeat of the Christian life. It's vital. And then when that happens, as you get that rhythm down, guess what you're going to do? Almost naturally, you're going to proclaim what God has done. That's why we were made, to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's telling your story. How many of you that are married got engaged and didn't tell anybody? How many of your grandparents had a grandbaby just neglected to tell your friends? None of you. You know, I got a text at like 7 o'clock this morning from Elizabeth Middleton. Rachel and Richard had their baby. Like, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. But she doesn't care. She's excited, right? Because she's so happy. And we overthink this evangelism thing way too much. We, we think we have to have all the... No, you have to tell the story of you and God. You have to just say it. Just tell. And, and when you're coming to him and surrendering and repeating and finding grace each time, all of a sudden the news gets better and better and better, and you proclaim the, that to the people, the goodness of God to the world around you. There's that, that time when uh, Peter and John were arrested in the early church in, in Acts 4. And it says, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak in the name or teach in the na- at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And once again, if you, if you struggle with telling the goodness of you and God, maybe it's just you need to sit with that goodness. You need to let it penetrate. If we're scared to be honest about our own sin before God, then we're we're scared to receive his love, which means we have nothing left to give. Be honest, for his compassions never fail. Mercy and grace is the heartbeat of this new family. It's, it's, It's like eating good food and tasting it and thinking, this is good, I want more of this. And then you tell people, you should eat this, this is really good. You know, when you fail, somebody still loves you. Your value is not based on your ability to get things done properly. It's based on God's love for you. That's good news for everybody. That's our family heritage. And the better we know it, the better we experience it, the more we'll walk in step with the Spirit, the more we'll live into this family identity. That's what Peter's saying to these people, and that's what he's saying to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the the fact that we have a chance to be in the family. And God, if there are those here today who've never ever decided to actually commit to follow you, to say, yes, I want to be a part of this. I want, I want this forgiveness and grace. I just pray in this moment that you would open their heart. Help them just to say to you, come in, take over, lead me. Welcome me into your family. Give me your grace and mercy. And God, we all want to grow up into this family. We have these old traditions, these old ways of thinking, these old fears and old habits that we need to lay aside, and yet you've invited us into something new and fresh, a living hope that's based not on our ability to get it right, but based on what Jesus has done for us and what the Spirit will do in us and through us. Help us to receive that and to share that with everyone. Thank you for this table that we come to that's a reminder of that very story, the fact that you broke your body, you poured out your blood for us so that we could have a Passover lamp, so that we could be invited to your table, to your family, in Jesus' name, amen. That idea of, of letting this truth soak in, I was up just before six this morning, and I heard this noise that I haven't heard in a long time. Did any you, of you hear it, the rain starts coming down? And I thought at that moment, I thought if I had good enough ears to hear creation, I would hear the grass and the trees being like, you know, first time, just thirsty and letting it penetrate down into them, right? And that, that's, that's the point here. As you let the truth of the grace and mercy and table of Jesus sink down into you, it nourishes you. It refreshes you. And here's, here's my prayer for you this week. I want you to take these two verses that I'm just going to read. Actually, it's three verses. And I want you to to let it soak, let yourself soak in it, just drink it in all week long and watch how that shapes your life. The first one is this, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the second one is this, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Soak in that this week.
1: Amen.